Welcome to the Science of SaaS Startups podcast, where we talk with leaders across the world of tech startups. We'll be discussing revenue growth, leadership, funding, acquisition, and much more. This podcast is for anyone at a SaaS startup. Whether you're a new business hunter or founder, make sure you tune in and enjoy the episode. Before we get into it, make sure you hit like and subscribe. And don't forget to comment your views below. The Science of SaaS Startups podcast is brought to you by Venetech, a sales recruiter for high-growth SaaS startups. Sit back and enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Science of SaaS Startups podcast. Today, I'm talking to Gilles Beto. Gilles is the, the CEO and founder of Livestorm. They're a, a Series B-funded video communications platform, which connects teams to, to host, promote, and analyze online events. Gilles, welcome. Thank you for having me. So I just want to uh, kick off just by asking you a, a few quick fire questions just to help the, the audience get to know you a little bit. So first one, what, what's your favorite color? Wow, that's, uh, <laughs> that's an original one. What's my favorite color? I would, I, I mean, like the majority of people, I'm going to go with blue. I, I, I read this the other day that blue was like the most light color for some reason. So I'm going to go with that. And okay. yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> Can't go too far wrong with blue, can you? So that's fine. And, and what yeah. is the, the number one item on your bucket list, which you're still yet to achieve? Well, you know, I think I'm living it right now. I started this company like five years ago, and uh, it feels like a, it's weird because it feels like a week ago and it feels like a decade ago. So it's a really, it's a mixed feeling. And I still feel every day that I, we haven't even barely scratched the surface. So I think my bucket, the first item in my bucket list is actually to go as far as possible, build something, build something people will remember, some kind of legacy somehow, like bring like a really amazing success story. So, and I think, I think we are just barely at the beginning of what it can be, so. Okay, perfect. And what, what do you do for exercise? I'm a remote worker, so I, I tend to spend one month and a half in different cities, and then I move to cities to another. So I do what I can. If that's that's the full answer. So basically, uh, everything related to workouts at home. Actually, COVID kind of I don't know produced a lot of content on how to work out at home. So you know, lucky me, not that when we're working, I can actually build on that. And and yeah, so that's pretty much it. So barely calisthenics, you know, whatever is available around me. Yeah. Okay. And and what is your biggest fear in life? Uh, biggest fear would be to lose time. You know, in, uh, I spend most of my 20s actually building this company. And sometimes, you know, you, you kind of wonder, did I miss something? You know, I, I see a lot of friends that have been, you know, they kind of moved very far within their life, right? The tides, the the they traveled perhaps more than me, and uh, even though I'm traveling right now, so I'm kind of <laughs> catching up on that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, losing time, you know, I think time is precious. The twenties go fast, and thirties will go even faster. So you know, make sure I get the most of it. I guess for for any entrepreneur and any founder, like time is the most precious resource always. As well, yeah, I guess. 
<laughs> okay, so now if we jump into to Livestorm, so do, do you mm-hmm. want to just kick things off and give us an overview of the company and, and what you're trying to do? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, Livestorm is a video communication platform on which you can host like um, meetings and webinars from 10 to literally thousands of people. And um, the one thing that we try to do differently, or that we do differently, is that we don't focus so much on video, which is kind of content intuitive, you know, when you think about it as a video conferencing product. But we think that the future of video communication lies in all the jobs to be done that are around video. So the first layer is interactions and, you know, providing different types of content and diverse, diverse way of interacting with the audience. Second layer will be how to organize better your events, make sure you know you can actually in under eight, seven, five minutes organize an event from A to Z, A to Z promotion included, retargeting included, all, the whole thing. And we want to make that easy so that even someone that is not a marketer, so even someone that is not tech savvy can actually host to 3,000 people events in without relying on other teams. And I think the last layer of the thing we want to build around video is all the ability to integrate deeply with a company. Companies have tools, they have way of for authentications, they have a lot of they have websites. We want to make sure we can actually adapt to all those things, integrate as deeply as possible and be like be part of the company somehow, re merge into it. So for the first time I think if I had to sum it up it's to say we don't want them to adapt to the video tool in order mm-hmm. to produce content but we want to adapt to what they want to produce. For the first time, I want people to come in on the B2B live streaming software and say, well, you know, what I'm going to create without having to worry about the how, and is, is, it, is the tool going to enable me to do it? Is, can I do it? You know, you, you actually, you want to focus on the type of content you want to create, and then we're going to be flexible enough to enable you to do it. That's a long answer, but that's pretty much the yeah. directions we're taking as a video conferencing product. Yeah, because I guess, you know, in, in terms of these kind of online events, it's such a, you know, like a rapidly evolving field, isn't it? Yeah. So, so I guess companies are kind of learning as they go with this and, and you're kind of helping them to, to kind of experiment and do different things. Absolutely. And uh, I think what 2020 told us is that, you know, content really diversified. I mean, like I would say like two years ago, video conferencing was mostly like a sales or marketer paradigm where you had to, you know, host webinars or training or demos or whatnot. And, you know, the, the rest was pretty much opening a video communication with your colleague and just talk about whatever project or whatever we wanted to talk about. But that was it. And everything about just opening a video pipe and organizing events in general was mostly a sales and marketing paradigm. But now in 2020, we've seen a lot of dream businesses actually using video conferencing for a lot of dream things. For example, we had the NHS in the UK using Livestorm to teach doctors and hospitals and best practices around COVID. So mostly about you know coordination in times of crisis. We had uh, banking groups, you know, communicating internally because they had so many people internally across all different countries and offices that they needed to have this internal audience they would they wanted to reach out and they, they didn't they didn't do that in the past. They didn't have these proper conferences internally live with everybody remote and talking remote. So for the first time they started doing that. And uh, and they have a lot of examples like this. So 2020 really diversified their content. And the consequence of that is exactly what I just said is basically people now they don't care about just opening a video pipe. They want the tools that enable them 
to really push the momentum forward with this diversification of content. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's a really kind of fascinating you know, just to watch a whole industry kind of develop and grow, you know, almost in real time, yeah. like over the last year. So, so if yeah. we kind of wind back to kind of 14, 15 months ago in, in kind of March 2020, you know, and at that stage, you've been building this company already for, for kind of two or three years. And then the world starts to enter this kind of movie-like apocalyptic phase where everybody gets locked in their houses. But what point does it dawn on you that this is going to be really beneficial for your business? Like, do you just see that straight away or, or does it take a kind of a few weeks, a few months to, to play out? Let me tell you a story that I always tell to the new people that come on board at LifeStorm. So essentially what happens is the month of March is always a good month for us. It's always like, I don't know, budgets are picking up, you know, marketing campaigns picking up. So typically March is always a good month. And in 2020, what happens is, so we woke up in March and we have around a thousand-ish customer, more or less. And I see more momentum. I see more activity. So I refresh the dashboard with all the metrics. And every time I was refreshing the dashboard, numbers were going up. Like every time I was refreshing, I was like, yeah. well, this is not normal. What is happening? <laughs> and, you know, it took us like probably two weeks to actually realize that something was, it was not just like an epiphenomenon of, you know, March thing is a good month. And we kind of prepared ourselves to whatever was coming. We knew it was going to be probably a big wave of usage, but we never could have, anticipated perhaps like how big it was going to be so we had a rough first week i think i think it was pretty much beginning of april or last week of march that was pretty rough on the server on the team on that so we had to we had to react we had to react so basically we stopped everything we were doing we stopped the product roadmap we just focused on the reliability we just focused on scaling the architecture we just raised the series a so we had plenty of money in the bank so it was not just we're going to pay to win and pay to yeah. survive and that's and screw margins screw all this all that stuff we're going to pay to stay afloat and i think it paid off i think it paid off we obviously had a lot of also human and management thing to put in place I'm sure that typically the care team is a pretty good example they were like four people at the beginning of month handling around 2000 conversations in general for the support and out of a sudden, they had 20K conversations to handle with four people. Wow. And then you have yeah. to think, okay, how do I literally scale 10 times my team, even though I could recruit, but those guys I'm going to recruit, this is going to be on, on the door maybe a month or two months later. So I don't, yeah. I can't afford that. So how do we, how do we play out? So it was just pure automation. So it was just, yeah, automations, a lot of automations, structuring who gave access to the priority support or not so refreshing all the rules second thing is transitioning product to working towards providing the tools to the support to you know help them gain time providing contacts on, on the customer providing automated actions you could trigger symptoms stuff like that and the fourth item was you know in times of crisis you do whatever you can and basically you know all the team was jumping on support so whatever whenever we have a spike we'll see like i don't know 20 people coming on you know come and being support and whatever if you were like head of growth head of sales whatever you were just going to support and answering tickets with the rest of the support team so it was yeah it was really intense really intense but uh well you know we made through it so i guess 
you know, look, look yes. Yeah, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the, the perfect uh, summary of that. <laughs> and whenever like the world goes through these kind of big pivots, you know, we obviously see like a flood of innovation and investment going into new companies who are you know trying to serve these new new requirements. Can you give us uh, like a sense of how you see like this market evolving and, and segmenting? Like, do, do you see? You know, there just being plenty of lunch to go around for everybody, or will we see you know two or three vendors start to dominate in different areas of the market? That's a that's a really good point. The way I'm seeing it, that's just my personal opinion on the on the on the market, but I see evolving on within three folds. So I think the first fold, and there is always two variables: complexity and frequency of the events. And the first fold will be really frequent events and a low complexity. So this is typically what we've been doing for the past 30 years. Daily communications, daily collaborations. All we care about is opening a video pipe and talking to people that is sitting remotely wherever that is. Then on the other end of the spectrum, something that is fairly new is very complex events that happen online and that are not so frequent. Typically big summits, big virtual events that requires networking, booths, exposition, all those guys. And that's more, I know you've probably heard of Hopin as a, a big company that kind of strive for credit. And this is typically their territory. Hopin is what this is what they do. And they can they are going to dominate that segment. On the daily collaboration, we have the usual suspects, we have Teams, we have Zoom, we have WebEx, and, and so on and so forth. But in the middle of that, we have another a third fall, which is all those events that happens either externally or internally that are frequent and also fairly complex. So typically, you have the webinar that you host every week or every month. You have the customer demos, customer training, and internally you have board meetings, all hands, all those events that require some kind of organization, some kind of control on who gets access to speaking, who gets access to basically interacting. And um, those are the formal events, as we call it. And this is a space that is not really formalized yet. And this is why we lie here. And this is why we are actually present in so different matrices of um, Gartner or all those guys because we lie in the middle, in this specific middle. So my take is that this track of the market needs to have a name, and the name we gave it, and we did a recent launch, actually um, last week, we call that video engagement platform. So typically, all you care about within this segment is having a recurring ROI, a recurring engagement on all those events that you produce. You don't care about opening a video channel. You don't care about having complexity. What you care about is, engagement with your audience, whatever that is externally, internally. And it has to be on a frequent basis. So you have to have all the organization in place as well. And that's the, so I think the markets as we go forward will be divided into three folds. And I'm hoping that this uh, chunk in the middle that we call video engagement platform will be recognized at some point. We're working with Forrester and Gartner to actually make that an actual name, but fingers crossed we we're able to make it. Yeah, okay. So if we kind of dig up into like the startup life, so with um, with Livestorm, you've had $35 million of investment so far, and you had a Series B of $30 million mm -hmm. at the end at the end of 2020. So before you you founded Livestorm, you were working as a designer. What kind of gave you an intuition at that time 
that, that kind of video engagement and online events were, were going to be the next big thing? Actually, I've, I wore multiple hats. I was working in my last year of internship back in college where we got this idea. Actually, I was working as a growth marketer, so more on the marketing side of things. Before that, I was doing um, design and I was still doing some freelancing on the design side. So I was wearing both hats. So I had like a DNA, product DNA and a marketer DNA. And essentially, from a marketing standpoint, I was missing all the 80% around the event. I was missing the percent of organizing an event. You know, I had to teach tools together to make sure I had the landing pages, the email, the blah, blah, all those things. I was missing the integrations after the after the webinar, after the event I was organizing. So I didn't, I didn't have a proper integration to could pipe with my CRM and do all those cool automation stuff. So from a marketing standpoint, I was kind of frustrated. And from a designer standpoint, from a product standpoint, the defaults that the, that the tool was providing at the time, so whatever that was, you know, landing pages and email, it was like plain text, no CSS, whatever. It was really ugly. And from a branding perspective, it was hurting my feelings. It was like, <laughs> why, why, why can't I have something that is powerful, simple, and with a nice UX, with a nice UI, something that makes me feel like I'm actually using something from the 20th century, 21st century, actually. And um, so, yeah, it was just, let's, let's build something that feels more like today. It was really the first intuition to leverage a new technology, browser-based technology, leverage actual UX for as a platform and leverage all the jobs to be done that was not really well addressed by the tools at the time as a marketer. And, uh, and yeah, and basically the first positioning that we went for was webinar software that leads in a browser for marketer that work in SaaS industry. That was it. And that doesn't care so much about video, it didn't care about organization. And actually, that position didn't involve much. We added some features and added more product things around, but you know, it's pretty much the same pattern, not caring so much about video. Yeah, okay. And you know, did you always see yourself as an entrepreneur? Like, did you always expect to, to kind of set up your own company? Or was it just a case of, I've had this idea and it's too good an opportunity to turn down, we're going to go for this? It was never the plan in the first place. It kind of kind of happened. I mean, I don't even come from, I mean, my parents, they are professors, they're teachers, actually, okay. in a public, public system. So nothing to do with, you know, I don't come from an entrepreneurial background or whatever. So I didn't have, a, I didn't have that in me. The thing is, I went to the school in Paris where they teach you how to do design, teach you how to do web marketing, they teach you how to do code. So you kind of have, you kind of wear those multiple hats and you have a lot of projects with actual clients and stuff. And the final exam is actually to build your own product and to build your own business plan as if you're going to launch the whole thing. And, and the funny thing is that when we presented that, we streamed our own presentation using our own tool, the very first version of LiveStore. And people started jumping in and then people asked us to stream their own presentation. So at the end of the day, we stream for eight nine hours and we had like hundreds if not thousands of people joining all day long and for the first time i'm like we built something people like wow and that's and you know you're just a student and basically moving on transitioning from student to to unemployed and being an entrepreneur is not so much difference in terms of lifestyle for us 
obviously we got really lucky because we got offices for free we got to them provided by the school we got you know in france you get like um you get like a, i don't know some kind of um some kind of minimum wage when you just worked for one year and you get one year of wage while you're unemployed so it's it's pretty cool so we had all that and it was pure luck pure, pure timing and uh, and we just decided let's go with it what's the worst that could happen pretty much nothing yeah. so yeah and and as a first time founder like how how did you find the learning curve going through the fundraising process you know when you were doing your series a and, and your series b like what, what are the main things that you learned well i think it's i think it's about being uh, more it's about like professionalizing everything every i mean the first thing is you kind of learn every job that's the first thing i remember i learned how to be a marketer i learned how to be a designer i learned how to even develop some of the stuff that we that we had you know the website for example the first version of the website i coded the whole thing designed the whole thing and that was it you know and then we have automations contained and you have support and you have to do sales so you kind of learn all those stuff you're hiring of course so you kind of learn every things everything all the steps of the way and as soon as you find someone that is better than you you just delegate and so i think the first thing that you have to learn is learn the job like it even love it and then you just let it go and give that to someone and move and move forward and something else and it's been like that since I've, uh, since the beginning even now it's like this i'm um, i just recently I had a CFO, so I had to let go about the whole finance and revenue thing. And now I'm trying to, I had PR and then I gave that away as well. So, you know, it's a constant way of letting go things and finding new things to focus on. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it keeps you on your toes every day, I guess, when you're, you know, you're learning something new so often. Yeah, but, you know, it's interesting because you you never get bored, I guess, and every year is pretty, is pretty different. Yeah, no, absolutely. And where have you seen the biggest challenges as you've grown? Have they been more on the technology side or more on the commercial side? It's more on the marketing side. I mean, that's really particular to our market, right? Because we have a lot of people. There is a lot of customer, a lot of competitors in the market, right? So doing a bunch of different things. And I think that's also one of the, one of the main difficulty is that people don't really know what is web conferencing. It's not the difference between video conferencing, web conferencing, webinar, meeting, virtual events. All those, there is semantic chaos of mm -hmm. knowing what, what it's in. You know, for you, a meeting with 20 people able to talk and able to present mm -hmm. might be a meeting for someone else, could be a webinar. And there is this semantic thing going on that's, that kind of makes people think this is a really big red ocean when where in fact actually there are specific use cases specific segment and so being able to provide message messaging something that is really clear to understand and how the market is structured or where you position yourself how you're different is something that we've been struggling for i think yeah since the beginning right how are you different from zoom is probably the questions i get like the most yeah. even today so yeah I, I guess that's the main thing yeah okay fair enough well, I really appreciate your time today, Gilles. Thank you for joining us. If people want to get in touch and, and discuss Livestorm, what, how best should they approach the company? Well, you can always ping me on Twitter. 
even though I'm pretty boring on Twitter since I'm basically reposting stuff from the company, but my name is so Gilberto uh, Attach on Twitter, also on LinkedIn. Feel free to DM me. And uh, as for Lifestorm, lifestorm.co, there is a small chat on the website if you want to talk to the team and have some more information, so don't hesitate to do so. Yeah, okay, perfect. Well, it's a, a really fascinating industry and it'll be amazing to see kind of how it evolves uh, over the next couple of years. And, you know, just as a user, I, I've kind of really appreciated being able to kind of virtually visit some of these events. So, uh, you know, I definitely see it as the future because, uh, you know, there's a lot of oh, events where I'd have, been, I'd have been on the edge about going to and, you know, it, it kind of, I can massively see the added value. So, so I appreciate Thank your time you so much. and, um, you know, look forward to seeing the company grow in the future. Thank you for listening to the Science of SaaS Startups podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit like and subscribe. And don't forget to comment below. The podcast is brought to you by Venetech, a sales recruiter for high-growth SaaS startups. Get in touch with Ben Jackson if you're looking for a new role or to add sales talent to your team.